0: Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Brian Bernard and Mikkel Jimenez from Holland and Hart Employment Law about the legal considerations of workplace diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. Brian Bernard and Mikel Jimenez, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you. Thanks. It's great to have you both here with me today. I'm excited to have a conversation around the legal considerations of workplace diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. Uh, This is a super important topic. And from the standpoint of employee engagement and driving creativity and innovation, it's super important that we foster a diverse inclusive workforce Uh, but there's also a lot of legal considerations that we have to consider also and both of your areas of expertise are perfect for this conversation you're joining us from Holland and Hart employment law uh, and I'll let you tell us a little bit more about that firm here in a moment but before we get started I did want to just share your bios with the listeners so they can get to know you a little bit better and then I'll give you each a chance to share a little bit more about yourselves and your firm Brian Bernard regularly represents both private and public clients in wrongful termination, harassment, and discrimination claims in both federal and state courts, as well as in administrative proceedings before federal and state agencies. His employment litigation experience includes jury trial success and significant wage and hour class action success in both Utah and California. He provides sound counsel to clients regarding employee relations, uh, employee contracts, employee handbooks with extensive background with non-compete and non-solicitation uh, provisions. He also has national level experience in advising employers related to the Americans with Disabilities Act and Reasonable Accommodations, the Fair the Family and Medical Leave Act, and the Uniform Services Employment and Reemployment Rights Act and the Fair Labor Standards Act. Uh, He also conducts workplace investigations into employee complaints and potential harassment. And I could go on and on with all of his background and qualifications. Uh, tremendous expertise and experience. Employers turn to Mikel Jimenez for re- seasoned counsel to proactively handle labor and employment and litigation issues. Mikel advises business owners and management on the full spectrum of employment issues that can impact an enterprise. She provides upfront guidance to help position businesses to effectively mitigate risk. When disputes arise, Mikkel draws on her substantial experience in state and federal court to defend clients in litigation, administration, and regulatory hearings, and alternative dispute resolution forums. She brings 20-plus years of experience serving as outside counsel to Cafe Rio Inc to help startups effectively manage the challenges and opportunities facing nascent businesses, particularly in food and beverage industries. Uh, Thank you both for joining me. Uh, Such a pleasure to have uh, you and your expertise um, to to be a part of this conversation today. Before we dive into the dialogue, uh, anything else that either or both of you would like to share by way of personal background, um, context, anything like that for the listeners?
1: Thanks, Jonathan, for having us. Uh, This is really an important topic. Uh, It's not just something that Mikkel and I do for employers, but we sort of live and breathe it. I think part of the context when I do, we do a lot of bias and sensitivity training as well as training for d committees. Um, and one of the things I show is I, I show this picture of my 94 year old World War II vet father, right? And then sort of my next slide is a, a picture of Tamir Rice, who was a young boy that was uh, playing with an, a, a toy airsoft gun in Cleveland and Two seconds after the police show up, you know, there were about six bullets put into him. And I put that picture up with a picture of three other children. And those children are my children. And my children are all adopted. I have five adopted children that are uh, all of color and different uh, backgrounds. And I remember the day that Tamir Rice happened. And I drove home immediately from my office and all of my kids toy guns and airsoft guns because I just couldn't mentally worry about them every moment um, being outside of my house playing with a toy gun and so I, I think that sort of pulls a different perspective for me as I look into the DNI issues as, as I'm counseling employers um, and I'm as I'm counseling our own office as we deal with you know equity and inclusion and I think it's just important to maybe in in all of these conversations for everyone to step back and say, we don't know the full story behind anyone that we are talking to. And it's important for us to listen and understand in an, an an environment and a world where listening and understanding is not treasured anymore. And so that's just kind of, I guess, a personal, you know, angle to something like this for me that, that really draws on, we need to listen and understand others because we don't know the journey that they've been through we don't know their background but their background and their journey is important and it provides you know an important balance in our own workplaces and and, and in our own communities so i i you know i lay that out there just because i come at this a little bit differently than than a lot of people i guess that are kind of in the dni space um, but my life experiences have brought me to a point where I feel like, um, you know, we can make a difference and we can help people, you know, improve things.
0: Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing a little bit more of that background with us. Um, it, it's, it's such a difficult thing. I mean, the, the experience you share about the shooting, you know, it's tragic and we've seen so many, unfortunately, so many examples um, just within the last few years and this in, in 2020 was, you know, a particularly bad um, year uh, for, you know, the, the racial justice and social justice issues and some of the, the the challenges that we're facing as a society. So I appreciate you sharing that and uh, a little bit about your family as well. Uh, Mikhail, anything that you would like to share before we jump into the conversation?
2: Sure, yeah, I think one of the things that um, makes Brian and I a good team and that we share is that we bring a lot of personal life experience um, to the table when we're providing legal advice. I'm the, uh, I am uh, Irish and Latina and um, I'm the first person in my family to obtain a doctoral degree. Um, I didn't have anyone to help me with that process. Um, as a woman in the law, that we are also um, quite often minorities in the courtroom or the boardroom. And so um, one of the things that I'm really grateful for is the significant amount of mentoring and sponsorship that I've received throughout my career from not only other women, but other men. And I think that that experience helps me provide really good practical advice uh, to companies about how they can also um, implement DNI and really, truly support the younger individuals and the executive individuals that they want to retain within their businesses and how important that is and um, how important it is to see people who look like you above you on the ladder and below you on the ladder. Um, and also that it doesn't matter where you come from or what your background is, or if you're the first or the, you know, or the 50th, um, we all need to support each other in the workplace.
0: Well said. Uh, I completely agree. So that's wonderful. Thank you for uh, for sharing a little bit about your personal background as well. So as we dive on into this topic, which is a very dense and deep topic, we could spend hours, um, not just minutes, <laughs> uh, as we explore this together. So, so recognizing on the outset that we're, we're only going to be able to scratch the surface, uh, I do think it's important to, to get, you know, a few really important things out there and some framing around what we're talking about. Now, certainly, there has been increasing greater calls for diversity in the workplace, uh, and that's increased exponentially. Uh, many companies say they're committed to it, and I guess the question is: Is that just lip service that they're giving to it? Is it now the socially, you know, acceptable—not even socially acceptable, socially required—kind of a stance that organizations have to say they're committed to diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, um, those types of elements within their workforce uh, and within the the organizational culture? Or are they really committed? to trying to make a difference uh, and, and move things along in a positive way. Uh, you work with clients in this space constantly, so what are you seeing in terms of what organizations are trying to do? Um, are, is it just a PR thing? Is it because d and stuff is, is really prevalent right now out there in the zeitgeist and, and people know they need to be talking about it? Or do you really see organizations prioritizing this and putting effort and emphasis towards it and if so what what are they doing to try to make a real impact in this area
2: so um, I think that uh, my experience is that DNI is not something new but I think it hat it is definitely one of the darlings of the workplace right now um, <clears throat> and a lot of employers, want to do the right thing and, and start some sort of a DNI program within their companies, but they just don't know how. And there are some that come to the table thinking, oh, we've got to have this in much the same way that many decades ago companies thought, oh, I have to have a website presence, right? I don't know if I'll really use it, and I don't know if it really has value, but everybody's doing it. And I think there's a little bit of that with d and and how it catches traction, but my experience is once the employer, once the company really gets involved, they see the value because there is real value. In addition to you know, creating a more inclusive workplace, there is real value and science behind the fact that when we have more people at the table who bring diversity, better ideas come forward, that results in better products, and that increases the bottom line. And so, my experience is, regardless of why a company comes to the table to start a DEI, a DNI program, that once they really, you know, wrap their arms around it, it they see the benefits to the employees, they see the benefits personally, they see the benefits from a business and financial standpoint, and they're ready to dive in.
1: Yeah, and I'll just add on to that. You know, I I do think. You know, shortly after the George Floyd, you know, issues hit, companies were scrambling to put out statements, right? And I was taught a very valuable lesson from a colleague uh, when I was helping some of our clients put these statements together. And to her, she was hurt because so much of it was just lip service. What's one more statement, right? Right everyone has condemned you know the unfortunate circumstances around his his passing and and that really struck me that you know I I was hoping that it wouldn't just be words but that we would shift to where companies and communities would start putting action to words and and thankfully actually now we're starting to see kind of this wave and I think it's sort of coming as employers are redoing their handbooks for 2021, and we're, what are we gonna change in our policies? What are we going to do? As well as a lot of pressure from employees wanting to have a voice and to amplify their voices. So companies are really starting to, to legitimately and, and honestly look at what can we do, what should we do um, to move beyond just a statement. What can we do to impact our working environment to make it better and inclusive? And it's not just based on, on race or gender, right? Uh, and we counsel a lot on this needs to be more inclusive. This needs to be first-time college graduates. You, you know, those from, un, you know, really difficult backgrounds. It doesn't have to be just related to race or gender or, or religion, or things that we typically think of in, in diversity, but that employers can broaden the scope of this and, and really put action to words. And that's what's really, I think, been fulfilling and helping companies take that step. Because Mikkel's right. You know, companies provide better services when there is diversity of thought, diversity of background, diversity of experience, diversity of skill set, all of those things provide value. Um, and you know, that's what I think companies are starting to see is that we can provide better services to our clients when we have diverse teams um, and, and can think of problems and think of solutions in, in different ways, ways that we wouldn't do if we were all just very mono, monochrome.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the research is super clear uh, on the benefits of diversity in the workplace. And and t- to your point, and in, in framing this in terms of diversity and inclusion, I like to talk about it in terms of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. But having those cultural elements is is really key because if all you do is bring in diversity of thought, diver- you know, racial, ethnic, sexual orientation, gender diversity around the table, that's good. But if if it's not a safe, inclusive environment where people can feel like they can share their diverse ideas and their diverse backgrounds, then you're actually not accomplishing anything. Um, you're, you're, and you're probably gonna have those people leaving pretty quickly because they're not gonna feel comfortable and safe in the organization. So we wanna couple all those things together. Um, but, but the research is clear. Uh, you wanna increase creativity and innovation. Uh, you wanna have greater uh, performance and productivity get more diverse people around the table. And that's not just the outward manifestations of diversity, as you mentioned, it's, it's all of the, the different layers of diversity um, and the cognitive diversity and the, the different points of view and perspectives as well. Uh, and I think about this in terms of you know, the business case behind it, the business case is clear. So even if I'm not so concerned about the people side of things but I just want my organization to be more effective. There's plenty of evidence to, to make that business case. But man, I hope that we can also focus on the human case behind diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, it's the right thing to do. It's, it's the morally responsible thing to do. And we want, uh, we want organizations that will thrive uh, and that only happens as we empower our people and we bring everyone together, everyone feels heard, everyone feels valued, everyone feels like they have a, a genuine opportunity to contribute. And that's what inclusion and belonging feels like in an organization, right? I'm excited to announce Will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life.
1: Yeah, and, and I think those are, you know, I think what we are seeing are the two most critical pieces to this is sort of the finding of more diverse applicants, right? Increasing the applicant pool, it's so important. But the piece that you talked about, the retention, the retention is where we, a lot of companies fall flat. And and that's, I think you can't have a successful program without the both of those. And so it's critical to sort of increase population of diverse candidates uh, and you can do that legally right? You, you, what you do is you don't reserve spots, right? That would be affirmative action or, you know, reverse discrimination. If you said we're only going to hire five, you know, three out of five are going to be diverse. You, you can't do that. That's improper. What you can do is increase the pool so that there, it, there's more of a likelihood that you're going to be able to hire a, a diverse or a different person or a different background of a person. But couple that with really the retention programs are, are really where, where it's at. And that gets back to what you were saying about feeling safe, feeling heard, feeling valued. Um, those are the things that, that are really difficult. It, it, it really is hard to create a safe space where people feel that they get proper mentorship and guidance and ability to to succeed, and those are the things that companies sort of struggle with, um, and need to make sure that that we're providing and looking at, because it doesn't it doesn't help, like you said, to go out and hire all these diverse individuals if they're unable to succeed at the end of the day um, for whatever barriers or reasons that we have in place. And so it's really important to couple of those two things: increasing the pool, you know, for hiring but then
0: really focusing on retention of individuals. Yeah, absolutely. Mikkel, anything you'd like to add to that?
2: I think uh, I would just add that it can be a challenge for companies to figure out how to increase the pool. And so, you know, one of the ways that you can do that without running afoul of the law, like Brian stated, is, you know, expand where you're recruiting expand the universities and colleges where you're recruiting. Maybe you start looking at technical colleges. Maybe you look at community colleges. Maybe you look at a wider range of universities, right? Um, And maybe even expanding geographically. If you live in a geographically homogenous territory, maybe you expand beyond that to see what kind of applicants because one thing we see is there's really never A um, want for qualified diverse candidates. It's just figuring out how to tap into that. And so I think that is really uh, important uh, for companies to navigate as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So what are some of the other big legal trend, legal considerations as we're in this D&I space? Because you know, I, I would like to think that most organizations aren't just giving lip service, that they really do want to do this. They just don't necessarily know how to do it well. And part of that is fear and uncertainty around the legal compliance issues and recognizing that this is a moving target, uh, You know, case law being what it is. I mean, you, you have to stay on top of things. Otherwise, you can find yourself in trouble uh, even when your intentions are good. So what are some of those things that we really need to be paying attention to in the coming year or next couple of years?
2: Well, I think that, I think you're right, it is fearful in some ways for companies because sometimes you find yourself, you know, on the receiving end of no good deed goes unpunished. And so you get, you get, find yourself as a company in one situation where an employee makes a claim and that can be so expensive Um, It can be expensive in terms of it it takes away from people being able to focus at work and do their jobs, but it also can be legally very, very expensive. And so one of the things, the trends that we're seeing, and I think Brian touched on this earlier, is a lot of companies are revisiting their employee handbooks and revisiting their policies and their procedures because we've had a lot of cases come out in the last five years, I'd say, that really expand and refine what is a protected class under Title VII, you know, what, what are the things that employees have the right to speak up about and employers have an obligation to allow, what kinds of speech are protected in the workplace or not protected, what kinds of speech are protected outside of the workplace or not protected particularly when we, when we have so many civil rights movements taking place outside of the workplace, and then everybody comes to work on Monday, and you're talking about what you did for the weekend. And so companies can really um, educate themselves on what is it okay for us to talk about with our employees? What's it okay for our employees to talk about? When do we bump up against those lines of free speech or Other statutes that give employees the right to speak um, politically or about other um, tricky issues, right? And really understanding that and then revisiting employee handbooks because sometimes employees have employee handbooks that haven't been looked at for a couple years or a couple decades, right? I was going to say so, a, cu-
0: a couple years is being generous. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, and and also really updating it so that the handbook isn't just legally compliant, but it's also really aligned with what your core values are in this moment. And I think those are important for companies.
1: And I would just add, I, I love what you had to say, Mikkel. Um, I would add that companies need to be thoughtful about their approach to DE&I and, and not just say, Hey, here's a good intentioned executive. Let's put her in charge of DE&I. And you just, you just run with that, right? Most people are not equipped to start a DE&I program on their own. And You know so then this person goes let's have a meeting who's interested right let's have a meeting and then people just sit around and you know if it's aimless it won't be effective if it's aimless you don't know what people are going to say and it's not potentially going to be legally compliant Um, it's going to cause or could cause further damage you know, I, I think it's very important to be thoughtful about it. And that's, you know, I, I never really thought that I would ever be doing, you know, training for companies on how to do diversity and equity and inclusion committees and things like that and programs. But we're doing that because there are legal pitfalls and, and people are not afraid to raise their voices on both sides of this sort of fence, right? And so you have to be careful. And the other thing about it too, is you want as an employer for these things to be effective. If you go in aimlessly and you have, let's say you create an affinity group or a group that's, you know, designed to help one particular type of employee, right? Let's say they're first generation college students or or women. And if you go in there and you have these meetings without agendas and without any sort of substance, it's so easy for those to devolve into this, this negativity, right? Oh, my gosh, I can't believe this happened to me in my department. Can you believe they said that? Right. And and it, it has a, this sort of negative effect that is not what the company wants. And so you have to be thoughtful about your approach. You have to be thoughtful about who's going to run it and how they should run this. You need to be thoughtful about agendas and keeping on topic and, and moving the ball forward, not just creating sort of this potential negativity. And that's where the real mistake comes. And that's where you start seeing, okay, finally, they've had enough of this negativity. One leaves and then two or three other follow, because at that point, they're close with that person that left. So it's really important to be thoughtful about it, and and I would say get advice and get a real solid approach. Don't just haphazardly decide to create a committee, you know, or an affinity group tomorrow. That it, it, that just doesn't have success written on it.
0: No, it doesn't. And it this is a skill set, right? This uh, both in terms of the 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 facilitation skills, the interpersonal team dynamic skills that are required to be able to do this effectively, but also the legal knowledge on employment and labor law issues in relation to this, because, you know, as much as we want to just focus on doing right by people, good things for people and treating people with dignity and respect, you know, there are the legal compliance issues that we, we need to pay attention to uh, and people can inadvertently step in things, you know, when that's not their intention. So it's a skill set to your point. That's why firms like yours focus, you know, you have people with expertise who can go in and help organizations do this uh, effectively or hiring someone very purposefully with the expertise to come in house to do it. Um, That's very different than what I also see often at organizations where they, it's basically a coalition of the willing. They just say, who, who, who's interested in this? Who wants to be involved? And then all of a sudden they're running with stuff and, despite whatever their best intentions may be, they're also causing problems. So I, I think all of those are really important um, considerations to keep in mind. Now, as as we're, we're running a little bit short on time, and as we're wrapping up today, I did want to give you a chance uh, to both uh, share a little bit more about how uh, listeners can get connected with your firm if perhaps they're interested in reaching out for help in this area or related areas, um, but also give you a chance to share kind of the last word on the topic for today.
2: Um, I just wanna say thanks for the opportunity. I think this is a really important subject and it it can be tricky to balance both the human side of it and the legal side of it. So I appreciate the opportunity to explore that a little bit. Um, Our firm does have a labor and employment practice group that does a lot of everything in in this space from guidance and training to litigation and we, you can connect with us on LinkedIn. We do webinars that companies can participate in, you know, for free. And um, we like to do speaking like this in the community, and we have lots of resources for companies that are looking to navigate this.
0: Wonderful, thank you. Uh,
1: sure, thanks. So yeah, I, our website's hollandhart, H-O-L-L-A-N-H-A-R-T.com, uh, and you can reach either of us. Uh, you know, this is our pitch. Our group in Salt Lake has always been at least 50% women or minority in in our L&E group, in our labor and employment group. And that has been my pleasure. And I, I am so, it just sets us apart. We've always been able to see and provide better advice because of our diversity and our diversity of thought and skill. And and, you know, I just feel so fortunate to have worked around so many wonderful people. I mean, you know, I would say three of my top mentors have always been women lawyers in my career. And I've just been so lucky to have that. Um, and so it's important. And, you know, don't go it alone. We actually really love this. We believe in it. We believe that we can make a difference for our, our employers and our, our clients. Um, and we can do it right. And and by doing it right, that improves the playing field for everyone. It isn't it isn't at the loss of you know white males like myself, right? No, it's not. It is creating a work environment where all of us can thrive based on our skills and, and what we bring to the table and, and you know Hutzpah. And so that's what this is about. And and we love doing it. We love talking about it. We love helping people uh, through it. So
0: that's that's us. Wonderful. Well, thank you both for joining me for this episode. It's been a, a true pleasure having a chance to talk with you. And we really have just scratched the surface. So perhaps I can have you back another time and we can dig deeper into a particular you know, subtopic. Um, I hope listeners will reach out, get connected, uh, find out more about what they can do for you and and, uh, the firm, um, because I think there's a lot of opportunity here. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day, and I hope you all have a great week.